to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We're going to be looking this week at um, this last of kind of these three major pillars um, that God uses to bring spiritual renewal. He uses it on the front end, uh, the first initial step to save someone. He uses it as the first initial step um, to bring someone into the kingdom, to bring them life from above. And uh, so these three pillars that we've looked at is that idea of the first one just being conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. Um, and then also a confession, which is just a, a com- confessing to God and agreeing with him. It's not only just saying words to him, because you could say words to him and not actually agree with him. Like, God, I see that this is your holy standard. I know I'm not supposed to do it. You could say that, but you're completely wanting to still do that, right? And so that's not a true confession. That's definitely not agreement with God. And so true confession and true conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And our response to that would be to do those things. And then um, that this last one that we're talking about today is repentance. Um, so, um, and, and this idea of kind of perpetual or repetitive pr- repentance. And I think that that has been non-communicated in the church. It's, it's kind of like if you get convicted of your sins, you feel guilty, you ask Jesus into your heart, which remember, that's not a real biblical thing. You've never seen that to the 1920s, 1930s, maybe 1910. And so the idea of asking Jesus into your heart, raising your hand, um, bowing your head, repeating this prayer, that wasn't around till uh, a guy um, that, that kind of um, brought some of those things and, and really brought that as a number-seeking thing to where oh, we can count hands raised, we can count people that say, I asked Jesus into my heart. And so altar calls and those things were not done for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so um, in that, not that not if a place does an altar call, that's bad. Not that if a place says, even if our kids go to some place and they say, hey, you can ask Jesus into your heart. Jesus isn't up there going like, oh, foul. Nope, they, they said it wrong. They did it wrong. And if you did that, if that was the way that you got saved at some point, don't feel like, oh man, I think I did that wrong. That was the phrasing they used. That's not the point. The point is that he brings this conviction and as a person gets saved, what gets left off is you need to repent from your sins. And it's almost without being verbally communicated, after you do that, then you just be a really strong Christian. You work really hard, you find out the sin areas, and you try to stay away from bad stuff, which is good. But, but really, it's, it's not communicated. It's repetitive repentance, repetitive, continual repentance. And that's grace. That's still a work of grace by the Holy Spirit. And so we got to think through that. Um, when I grew up, uh, I was, we usually went to church camps. And so not only little VBSs um, that I would go to, uh, my parents weren't taking me to church, but, um, they, but then I would go with friends of so VBS things. But then uh, when we got to Emmanuel Baptist, they had uh, uh, the uh, Falls Creek here in Oklahoma. So um, the famous thing in most big church camps, if you grew up going to church camp, was cry night right? So Monday, everyone's excited. It's, it's a blast. Everyone's, there's adrenaline, all this stuff. Sunday and Monday. And then Tuesday, it's getting a little more serious. Wednesday, it's really serious. And sometimes they even, the speaker does such a good job. He lives you on a cliffhanger, almost like, well, what do we do now? And he's told these stories, you know, all these different things. And then Thursday is cry night where, I mean, it's just, that's the altar call night. That's the night that everyone comes down, whether you've been saved before, whatever, everyone goes down. Um, and so in that, uh, Cry Night, uh, as, as we kind of, um, movies have made fun of it, uh, mockumentaries have made fun of it. Now, there is a good thing about that. So t- truly, there's an intentionality uh, of walking people through their sin to see your need is salvation. And so um, the good end of that for those camps and things is hopefully it's a clear gospel presentation because uh, that's what the Holy Spirit uses. So if there's a clear gospel presentation, um, then you've got um, an, an articulation and a trusting of the Spirit where you're, you're, we've presented these truths and now your heart needs to respond to that. So that's a beautiful part of camps. And so when I, when I joke about cry night, it's not to make fun of it to say God's not working. God uses that powerfully. We, we, our boys, just one of our boys just got back from camp this week. Um, they do it a little bit differently. There's not the big, big buildup. I think that there's still a little bit of a buildup to a, hey, where's your heart at? And, they, and each day they have their counselors kind of talking with them. Like, so where are you at on this? What we heard last night, where are you at in this? Where, where, how are you responding? 
Um, bad end sometimes is this high emotional push. Um, sometimes it can go to manipulation. Um, sometimes the, the speaker that they brought in, it, it's, it's almost like uh, ESPN statistics. Like how many did Mr. Smith, how many points did he get last week? He was at a camp with a thousand kids and there were 600 salvations. Thousand kids, 600 is pretty good points. Here's this guy. He was at a camp with a thousand kids and there was only a hundred. Which guy do you want to come to your camp? And, and sadly, uh, if you get on any of those councils or hear about all those things, that's how that's decided sometimes. Um, now, in that, again, there can be, now, now if, if I'm that speaker, the, the difficulty is if I did certain things and it seemed like there's a heavy, heavy, heavy response, if we're not careful, I begin to base that off of what I just did and not going, that was completely a work of the Holy Spirit, right? So now next week, what am I going to do? I'm probably going to repeat what I did last week to see if it gets the same results and repeat and repeat and repeat. So, so those are some of the bad things that can come from that. It, sometimes it can be manufactured results. Um, it's the idea of that speaker is the central catalyst for getting people to ask Jesus into their life versus an understanding that the Holy Spirit is the central catalyst. It has to be the Holy Spirit bringing conviction, bringing um, confession, and bringing re repentance. So that's a, that's a completely different view. And so that, that, that may be something for you to think through. Um, that um, is it that a person over here is just trying to be a good, neutral, moral thing, moral person, and then um, without the Holy Spirit working on their heart, they on their own can just decide to just go and follow God. So that's a good question to think through. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, the result is this. In, across the Bible Belt, specifically areas in our, like Oklahoma and, and uh, states like ours that have big camps like this, um, the result sometimes is that many, many decisions or sinners' prayers are done, but not all of those are truly saved. So uh, we've been through the, the, the situations where there's people that have many, many times bowed the head, close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me, raise your hand, and there was no life change. And so most of us go, yes, that's where I live. That's my neighborhood. That's my family members. That's my workplace. Everyone considers themselves somewhat of a Christian. Now, they would probably, like, if your coworkers are just as, like, one heathen guy or something, and he may just be like, oh, well, I, um, yeah, I'm clearly a Christian. Yeah, I, you know, I do all these horrible things. But, but, like, even those people would say, like, well, yeah, I'm still probably going to go to heaven because, I'm, you know, God understands I'm, I'm trying. And that, that's the idea out there. Um, the dilemma is a great majority of people who are not in Christ, they don't have true saving faith, but they believe that they're headed to heaven. So again, this is um, conviction, maybe agreement, but no change and no repentance. And they leave camp, they leave church service, they leave conversations where people have brought some things to their attention, and there's no true repentance they're not in Christ. Now, Bible Belt, we're surrounded by and saturated by churches and people who think they're going to heaven but are not in Christ. So um, how do you say, so here's the key question, specifically in, in church plants like, like this, in, a, in a, not only the Bible Belt but the buckle of the Bible Belt like a Tulsa with churches all over and all kinds of flavors of churches, how do you get people saved who already think they're saved? How do you get people to see their need for salvation when they've prayed a sinner's prayer two, three, four times? They've been baptized two or three times, but that was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. And now it's kind of this embarrassing thing to be 43, 53, and you're kind of back in church, and it's kind of weird to be back in that situation when, man, it's been 20 years, 30 years, 40 years since I was at that camp at cry night. And so to, to go, man, I, I probably do need uh, to, to know for sure to have the time of confession and convic conviction and repentance and, and truly um, thinking through, was I really saved at those points? Um, so that's a big dilemma. Also, not only about lost people, how can you get people saved who think that they're saved? Well, what about people inside the church? Um, how do you get people um, to see their need for growth and transformation if I'm going through the motions all the time. 
who if you sat down with them for one week and then two weeks and three weeks and had an hour conversation with them, they would say, yeah, I mean, to be honest, yeah, we're there. The finances are doing okay. Doing okay. The, you know, the kids are, uh, it's, it's a, a trying time, but man, we love being around our kids and doing all these things and work's going okay. My, our, our marriage is going okay. But to be honest, I'm not seeing a lot of transformation. I'm not really feel like I'm growing. And so there's, are there sin pockets or areas in my life that I've not overcome those things? And so how do you get people to see their need for transformation with no repentance needed or practiced? So the big dilemma that we have is a form of Christianity that leaves out repentance. Um, now, God does use these situations. We're not so camps. Again, we go, we pay, we take our kids. I would encourage everyone to go to those things. Um, same things with VBSs and those things. So uh, when I bring up those things, I'm just kind of hitting on, just don't put all your hope in those things. It has to be the Holy Spirit working. And are we taking time? So we want to put our kids and put ourselves in those environments to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. So those things are good. And God does grant salvation and growth at some um, of these things. But many, many times people have had these crying out experiences who never surrendered to Christ. They were never changed. They were never truly saved. And again, you may have had conviction. You may have felt remorse. You may have had heavy emotions, tears even, weeping, but there was not true repentance. So we're going to look at that. It's a key element. Um, we've been looking at these three things, like kind of like a DNA helix. Uh, that's why I've said repeatedly that these are three essential matters. So the, first, the, 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 the two legs are confession and repentance, and the thing in the middle is the conviction. The conviction is, is what leads to you wanting to confess and wanting to repent. So it's kind of like this the DNA helix. That, 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 that's what God puts inside each one of us. Um, and then we know that there's going to be no person in heaven no person in the kingdom of God in heaven who has not repented. There's also for the believer, again, um, people would wonder, how did our country get to this place? How did our nation get to this place? How did we get where it seems like lost culture is just winning every single battle? Is it possibly because inside the church, things have become so watered down? And, and if we're not repenting, we're not confessing sin, we're not living lifestyles of repentance and conviction do, do we just have our pockets? So, so yeah, I go to church, I give my money, I go to small group, I help out in serving the kids thing, but in my workplace, all the other 10 people know that I'm this naggy, complaining, angry, gossiping. So I'm stuck in these ruts of, of sinful pockets and they're going, that's why I don't go to the church. That person right there, those four people right there, that's exactly why I don't go to the church. And so we're not a people who, and so what do we do on the other hand? We go and attack culture instead of going like, let's be, honest and authentic before the Holy Spirit and God. And they say, man, well, I, the reason I don't go to church is you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Man, you're exactly right. You don't even know how bad my sins are. Like that would shock them, right? If we, we flipped it on and said like, no, you know what? You're the hypocrite. You're the one who's doing this stuff. You're the baby killer. You're the one who, that, we go on attack mode instead of going like, no, you're exactly right. In fact, let me share with you a little bit more for 30 minutes how bad my sins really are. And I'm so convicted by this and I'm seeking change. If we would be that kind of posture, Instead of the, the, the angry Christian or the gossipy Christian or the, the, the horrible Christian that's running people off because of the way that they are, the way they treat people, or so legalistic and rigid that they're just like, oh my gosh, that, that's what I grew up in. That, that's, the, that's the 19 out of 20 I run into in the age group of 18 to 36 right now is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents, they forced it. Uh, we were at that. You should have seen what it was like at home. Uh, my parents were this way. I grew up in this legalistic, rigid, and, and they're just I, I, nothing to do with it. And so you're like, that's going to take some time to soften those walls. And then the Holy Spirit could change that in a matter of a second, right? But, but also, it, it may just take some time to break through that. So um, we've got to see that repentance is essential. Um, people may feel and experience conviction and yet not repent. Um, People may have heavy emotions, tears weeping, and yet not repent. People may even confess, man, I know I'm a sinner. I know I am, but they don't repent. So that's how big this is. So there's several places in the Bible. There's lots of places in the Old Testament where people agreed with God. There was kings. There were different um, uh, prophets. There were different people in Israel who they agreed with God. They confessed sin. They felt conviction. They saw how wrong it was, and they did not repent and turn. 
So big people like Pharaoh and then big people, um, sometimes even some of the Israel's leaders, uh, some of the different prophets were uh, communicating to the, the kings of Israel. Um, and the same thing, uh, even like in the New Testament, a Judas who saw what he had done, felt guilty, remorseful, doesn't go like Peter and the others and repent. So we have an example there of someone who feels the weight of that and then does not repent and takes his own life. So um, all those things, conviction, confession, I've sinned, but without repentance. Um, here's a picture. If, if you could imagine, what, here's a picture of what repentance may, may, may help you to see what this looks like. So if, if this was a, uh, a doorway here going out into this open area, and so we had a, a doorway right through here, repentance looks like this. That doorway is an opening to temptation, to sin, to, to just, to, and, and maybe it's not just, you know, rampant sexual immorality. Maybe it's just you being your own boss. You living by your own rules, autonomy. I'm going to be a good person. God just needs to understand this is how I'm going to do. I'm going to make these choices. So here's this doorway. Repentance looks like this. Stopping at the doorway, seeing that it's bad, shutting the door to it, saying, I don't want that. I see. So I'm agreeing with you, God. That is wrong. And now turning and walking towards God, walking in obedience. How many times do we see people that may be at that doorway and they may feel conviction, tears. I know that's wrong. Man, I've been really struggling with this. And we leave the door wide open. And, and the reality is my plan is I'll talk about conviction. I'll talk about, I know that's wrong, but I want to stay right here because the plan is, I think in the future, I'm probably going to want to go back out there into that. That's not repentance. That's American Christianity to a great part. I, I am the one who decides whether I'm going to do this. And so a shutting of the door and a turning and walking towards obedience. And so that's walking in Christ. That's what the New Testament in Colossians and Romans um, and different places in Colossians and uh, talks about um, in Galatians about putting off the old. We've been made new. So putting off the old clothing that you used to live out here in this whole area. And now you're saying, no, no, no. I've been convicted. I'm shedding those clothes, shutting the door to that. And I'm turning with my will and I'm walking in new clothing. So that's walking in the spirit, putting off the old, putting on the new. And so walking in the spirit. Um, so that's that picture there. Um, the Bible Belt is a mission field of sick, dead souls who look very nice and think that they're well. So think through that the people around you. The Bible Belt is full. Uh, it's a mission field full of sick, dead souls who look very nice and think they are well. That's difficult. Um, so that should give us an idea because we are a family of misfits who have been adopted into the kingdom. Again, yes, I'm a misfit. You're right. You're right, I do. I struggle with those things. You're right, sometimes I do these things and these things. You're exactly right. And I even struggle more with that. That's what I'm dealing with all the time. That, that would be a good thing to say, but I've been adopted by the king. I've been brought into the kingdom. What's your excuse? Um, we, we're, we're a platoon of soldiers who have been called to fight in the spiritual war. Um, we're a group of lost orphans who have been redeemed and purchased by the blood. And just to think that, that that's my identity. There's a humility to that. There's a posture to that. So as we look at Psalm 51, we're going to finish up in this last section. Again, we went through Psalm 51. Tyler did a phenomenal job on the um, uh, confessing and agreeing. And like I said, uh, it's powerful when uh, someone, so you, you could use the thing of, hey, I'm, I'm going to talk about confession. And so I'm just going to use the word confession like 30 times in the sermon. So there's some seminaries or some courses that say, you should do that. Just all these points, confess, 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 confess. Um, Tyler did a phenomenal job of mentioning that three and four and five times. But without having to make that the bullet point, you walked away with the feeling of the need for agreement. You walked away with the weightiness of I need to have that perspective, the weightiness of sin. And so a wonderful job in that first section of Psalm 51. And, and Psalm 51 has all three of that kind of DNA helix of, of conviction, confession, and repentance. So we're going to read 51, uh, 10 through 17. So um, let me start there in 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example of David's life, not just an example, but truly from the very heart of God, from the the Holy Trinity, this message to us, a picture of conviction and confession and repentance. And so God, would you allow us to search our own hearts as the Holy Spirit is, is reminding us and bringing up truth. He's the helper, the counselor. Um, would you allow him to reveal and expose things, um, maybe just in the overall idea of repentance, if that is missing from our lives? Maybe it's specific sins that you would like to deal with us. I pray that you would give us um, just leadership through the Holy Spirit, truth from the Holy Spirit, revealing and exposing those areas. And then let us enjoy the renewal and the reconciliation to enjoy putting away sin and to enjoy mortifying sin and turning to walk in the Spirit. We pray that you would do these powerful things through your Word and through the Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. So as we look at those first verses there, um, um, you can see there, um, he says there, create in me this clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. What's David's part in that? He's saying, God, you need to do that. We we looked at Ezekiel um, 36, where it said that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to take away your heart of hardened stone and he's going to put a softened heart in there that's able to respond. And he says, I'm going to give you a new spirit. So there's a difference between spirit and soul, but he's going to put each each soul as a spiritual component. I'm going to put a new spirit. Instead of your sinful nature, it's a nature nature from above. John 3 talks about that, Jesus with Nicodemus. I'm going to, in the Holy, then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. All of those components, he breathes new life, and now you're going to be able to respond to me. So now that goes back to the picture of um, earlier when I asked that question, is a just neutral moral being able to just respond to God on their own, or is the Holy Spirit working beforehand? Um, And so he's saying, this is your work, O God, created me that clean heart. Renew a right spirit, aligns exactly with Ezekiel 36. Cast me not away from your presence. We talked about that last week on conviction, that that he he realized, no, the end goal of all this is your presence. For me to be saved, I get you. Being saved is not just forgiveness of sins. It's you. I get you, God, your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. And so notice there, that's kind of rare for Old Testament language. They didn't have a very clear picture of of the Trinity, right? They definitely didn't have a, you know, they didn't have a clear picture of Jesus coming. They're they're thinking powerful militaristic leader on this earth, military king, uh, military king, Messiah, not thinking through, oh, God in the flesh coming as the son of God who would die in our place. That wasn't real clear to them. But he's talking about clearly the Holy Spirit. Notice, restore to me, in verse 12 there, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So, so, so not just this, just this flat emotion, but there's something about being in, in communion with you, Lord. It's enjoyable. It's refreshing. It's life-giving to the soul. What, what, what is the key to that? It, it, remember the door? It's turning to enjoy him. So again, we have a lot of people that we're stuck at this door and we're going, I'm, I'm not really going to turn and go and follow the Spirit. And, you, and we don't seek it very much enjoyment. We don't have a very life-giving spiritual life because we're still at the door going, I don't know if I want to shut the door. Because the truth is there's a lot of stuff out there that I may just, I'm not real bad. I don't want to be really, really bad. I just want to just, I just want to do things my own way. I'm just going to do things the way I want to. I'm not going to go crazy and fall off the cliff and do all these horrible things. I'm just going to leave the door open and I want to do these things. This is just the way I am. This is my personality. 
at one of our churches, we, it was like the, the, the grace and truth paradox. We were big on doctrine. So they, like nine out of 10 people were just like, I'm just a truth person, too bad. Just, they just can't take it. I, I smack them with the word in small group. I smack them with the word. I, I, I'm just a truth person. That's just the way God made me. Like, good grief. Do you realize everyone hates you? Like you're pitiful to people. You're pitiful in the name of truth. I'm just this, I'm the Bible person. And, and like, but no, that's the way God made me. I'm just truth. Jesus came in grace and truth. The gospel's good news, not let me smack you down. It's bad news. You're pitiful and you're just, God hates you. No, that's not the gospel. The, the shocking part about the gospel is that's true about you and God still died for you and is pursuing. His kindness leads you to repentance. And so um, when you see those things, um, we don't get to stand at the door and, and, and choose how I'm going to stay the same. Well, I'm just, I'm just this way. Years. Five years into after you gave your life to Christ, and you're still right here in the doorway. Nope, I'm, I'm going to stay this way. I'm going to stay this way. That's not what David said. I need to leave that behind because enjoyment is found when I'm walking with you. And you've probably had moments and times and weeks and maybe even months where that was true. But a lot of times we're stuck right here. We can't figure out why it's not enjoyable anymore. We can't figure out why. I mean, I don't even want to go to group. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. Yeah, because that is very tempting. It looks really good. Even if it's not going off in debauchery and in stealing millions of dollars and leaving your family and destroying people, maybe it's just, I'm going to have my own personality and my husband's going to deal with it. My wife, my kids, they're just, they're gonna, I'm going to be this way. I don't care. I, I'm, I'll, I'll do what I want to do. doesn't matter. That, that, that's nothing of walking in the Spirit. And so that, the key to that is repentance. And so that's what's missed. And again, if, if churches, we don't bring that up, and in fact, what we do say is, hey, look at the PowerPoint. Here's the three rules to add to your already 100 points that you're trying to keep. Add three more rules onto it. Without talking about repentance, that's all about you doing the work and not learning to rest and trust and walking in the Spirit. So some difficult things there. And so David nails it there. Then I will teach transgressors your way, your way. I'm going to live that out. I'm going to show people. And David was. He was a leader in that, that type form. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. So what, what, what's David's role in that? Nothing. God, you need to deliver me from my guilt, is what he's saying there. You need to deliver me from my guilt. David has already expressed conviction and confession repeatedly, um, and he knew it was God's work, and then shows what repentance would be like. He says, O God of my salvation, my, my tongue at that point will sing aloud. So think through this. Now I'm singing aloud your praises of your righteousness. I'm enjoying your righteousness. I'm proclaiming your righteousness. I can't do that when I'm over here at the door. I'm lying to myself if I'm standing here dabbling in here, messing with some stuff over here. Oh, pe people are coming. People are watching me. Better, better act like this. Now, from, from murdering, killing, adultery, covering it all up, all those powerful uh, uh, injustices that David did, I'm turning from that. I'll be a proclaimer of your righteousness, and my mouth will sing your praises. It's really bad if you're trying to do those things where you're standing here without repentance. Because God's going, you're wasting your time. I, I see through your heart. You're, you're doing those actions, but you're, you're not living what you're supposed to be living. You're not living in the Spirit. You're still living in the flesh. You're making your own choices without repentance. And, and, and the thing is, this is so, so, so broad and easy to do. It, it, you're, you, you feel natural. It's like getting up in the morning, waking up. And for some of you, maybe brushing your teeth first or what, whatever your day, that's just, this is where we live. This is just me. This is the way I've been for 10 years. This is the way I've been for 20 years. No, of course, I'd stay away from those things really bad out there, but I'm just over here. And he's going, that, that, that's not what I'm talking about. If you, if you would turn and, and run, kill those sins. So you see that beautiful picture there. And then he goes in verses 16 and 17, you will not delight in sacrifices. You're, you're not good. Even if I back up and just perform my rituals as I'm trying to live in this self-controlled, managing sin lifestyle, instead of forsaking it and turning from it, me managing sin and me going through the rituals. So in our day for David, then it was all the sacrificial system. And, and David said, I know that that's not pleasing to you. For us, what is that? What are the things that we do? Oh, maybe you don't cuss anymore. 
You think God's over here clapping? Like, oh, Hercules, Hercules. Like you're doing such a great job because you don't, you don't cuss anymore. Is that a big one? You're treacherous to people that you work with. You're horrible to family members. You, 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 there's no forms of you actually loving God in your life, but yet you think, I, I stopped cussing. I stopped whatever. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should be, uh, let's all start cussing to show that we're not, that's always not the point. Is What I'm trying to use is like things like that, these external minor things that show that God goes, I, I, man, I wish you just loved me. I, I wish you stopped thinking that your little bitty lists are, are, are equal to Jesus dying on the cross and that you're trying to live in those things. And so um, you will not delight in sacrifices. David says, or I would give it. Man, I, I, I can list it out and I would do it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken, contrite spirit. I can't believe I keep doing this. Do you ever get to the point and go, man, this is five years in, in my Christian walk. This is 10 years in, in my Christian walk. This is 15 years in, in my Christian walk. And I'm still struggling with these patterns. That's completely different than, man, I could try it. God, I, I want to pursue you. I want to love you more. I've, I've shut off those things. I'm, I'm mortifying those sins. I've shut the door to that, and I've walked in righteousness and walking by the Spirit. And so the deal is, you got to ask yourself, what is it that pleases God in the Old Testament animal sacrifices and slaughter? When David brings this up, what's he saying there? Was it the action itself? So think through God just wanting to prove to a, a, a neutral animal. Is he just wanting, like, too bad for you, dude. You're just a land I created. These people have been real sinful. They're going to slaughter you now. Like, you know, that, that's a bad deal. Um, I have this joke with the boys that um, once we get to heaven, if they have dogs in heaven, I'm not sure, so don't get mad, but especially if you're an extreme dog person. Um, but we get to heaven, and what if animals like, could hear us and they can understand English, but we just don't know it yet? And so like all the things I say to our dog, you know, like, man, you're just a, you're, you're worthless. You're a piece of giant. Like I'll say all that. The boy's like, stop, dad, stop. Well, what the whole time he can't talk back. And he's just like, this is so rude. This is just so mean. Like, and so all these things I say, what if we find out that animals literally can understand us cows? Like, man, these stupid cows, they're just standing there, just eating grass. And like, you're stupid. You're standing there watching me. And so I'm not sure that's going to be, I don't have any biblical stances for that. That may be what's going on with animals. And so think through what's God wanting to do in sacrifices. Is blood or fire just magical? The, the, the little fire sacrifice? And you know, you, you build a little fire and you do your three circles around it or something. And, and you, is that, we know that that's not what, what takes away sin, actually. It doesn't cover over any sin. Even the blood of those animals it does not take away sin. Is it taking something innocent and slaughtering it for, for sins or wrongdoing to prove a point? We see here all over the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament, many places where, no, it's that, that heart that, first of all, gets an understanding of God and his goodness and his glory and his love and goes, even though I've been this ruthless of a sinner, that you would, would give me the opportunity. So in the Old Testament, didn't understand Jesus, that the reason that I want to do these sacrifices is because of my love for you. So I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm walking in obedience. And oh God, you said that um, as a way to show, outwardly show that we love you, is to give something valuable, an animal, to sacrifice it. That shows our trust in you, that we're giving this thing that we could use for food. We're giving this thing that, that could be used for our family. And said, we're trusting in you, God. And out of worship, it's easy for me to do this little sacrifice. It's easy for me to do this ritual. It's easy for us to put time aside for three days and have this feast with each other. It's easy for us to trek to Jerusalem and every year and do this out of worship versus the person who's over here like, God, I hate this. We have to stop working. We're losing money. We're losing food for our family. I hate this. This is ridiculous. We have to do these stupid journeys to Jerusalem. We've got to do these sacrifices. We could use this lamb for my family to eat. Is that love for God? Is that, is that an appreciation and a trust that, God, you're the one who gives us everything that we need? You're going to provide for us daily? No, it's an angry, I'm going through the motions, even though I don't love you and I don't uh, understand why you're forcing us to do this. And that's what David's saying there. Um, it's a heart that understands and loves and appreciates God over idols and over sin. 
shutting the door, walking away. God, I love you. And it's easier the more I walk with the Spirit where those things don't even matter. And there's probably, I would say, probably everyone in here, if you're a believer, for those who are believers, there are certain areas that you used to struggle with that probably you did shut the door on those and you, and, and you have walked with the Lord. And some of those little struggles, they don't even pop up as big temptations anymore. So there's some category of that. Now, the lie in that, that's actually called the Kez, it's called Keswick, but it's spelled Keswick theory. That you, that, so the word you know, is big and tall, so victory. You can get victory over all your sins. And what the idea there is that I'll get to this place where I draw the line, I'll never struggle with any of those sins again once I've committed myself to Christ. Especially if I'm doing some of the extreme things of in the spirit, then this, this idea that I'll never struggle with that. Well, that doesn't understand indwelling sin in the heart. That is not a true understanding of how bad sin is in the heart. Yes, maybe cussing on every big for you, maybe Stealing will never be big for you, but maybe desires of the flesh really are. Maybe uh, pride of life, maybe um, um, lust of the eyes, lust of the, the flesh, maybe those things, maybe just gossip, maybe slander, maybe um, jealousy and envy, maybe anger, and, and those things are still big. But yeah, cussing, smoking, uh, some, some easy external things. And so remember, you, you got free from that, Right. Those are things that, that David's saying, that it doesn't matter on those without true repentance. Um, and we can usually identify here, right? We do this. Uh, many of us have not learned the discipline of solitude and silence to give the Spirit time to reveal and expose things. Um, so there's no heart change. Um, we're acting or we're ignoring and hardening the Spirit um, but we're going through the motion. So I'm over here in my little area, and I'm still doing things. And I, I mean, I'm a Christian, and I'm not doing the horrible bad stuff, but I am in control. I will dictate to God on these other matters. My time, my resources, my, my uh, amount of time I can give for people, amount of time that I can give for all these things. I, I'm still in control of that. And he's going, that, that's not a heart that, that is understanding that. You're, you're not even willing to be exposed. You're not even willing to, for, for the Lord to open that up to say, is that the right heart there? Um, no heart change. Many of us don't even take the time through the week considering um, the Word, just consider going into the Word and saying, hey, Holy Spirit, would you show us, would you show me what your, what your um, heart is? Man, I had my phone on silent, so I don't know if that's me. Um, many of us have not learned that discipline. Many of us, if we, if we do have devotional times, they're not set up with time for contemplation. So we walk away without having the Holy Spirit expose us. We may, you may do the three-minute quiet time. You may do the little seven-minute quiet time. But you really, at the end, don't have time. Like, hey, Lord, I just read this. Are there some areas in my life that are out of line with this? We, we don't really do that. So now think through. Even if you're a daily quiet time person, or maybe three times a week, if you go that whole week, and the next week, and the next week, and the next week, without times of, of, of asking the Holy Spirit to expose those things. It, it's really dangerous. Um, if we're in a, time, in, in a time period in church history that easily admits that we're, we're more entertained, we're more distracted, we're, we're less committed, we're less time for deeper, more contemplative spiritual labor, where there's more comfort-seeking, more slothful in our spiritual pursuits, more negligent in prayer, devotions, Bible studies, and yet we don't realize, so that those are the things being written by our American Christianity, and yet we don't realize that sin is always, always, always at work. It doesn't take off. It's not taking off and resting and going like, oh, hey, they're not trying, so we won't try. Demons aren't saying, hey, they're not putting very much effort forward, so let's, let's back off. No, they are still trying to destroy souls. Um, so we keep walking in things without repentance. Um, not realizing that the spiritual war that goes on there. So repentance, uh, a good like definition for that um, is, is it's a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it. So there's that turning point there. Uh, it's not just feeling sorry at the door and saying, no, I don't want that, but it's a sincere commitment to turn and walk away from that and to walk in the spirit, put off those, those evil things and, and to put on through the spirit. Um, and so here are some, some categories that, that, that should be clear. I think it's on the screen there. Sorrow for sin. Um, and then also a renouncing, a personal decision that you are going to turn from sin. There's a commitment to repetitive turning. I'm going to continue to do that. So, so in this, this may be your experience right now with a certain sin. It's, I mean, I'm doing this, and man, it just feels like it, it, it's power. And here's the lie. If you're a truly believer, this does not happen. This grabbing and pulling you back is not true. 
It may feel like it. So the reality is this. If you're a true believer, if you're not a true believer, it does. In the power, you can sit there and be feel guilty and like really want to turn. If you, you haven't asked for salvation the first time and truly become in Christ, he's completely controlling. You're like, man, I keep feeling guilty. I just keep following this. No, you're, you're still a slave to sin. But if you're a believer, it cannot grab a hold of you and pull you. He can throw darts at you, but the, the, the resurrection of Christ and his death said, Satan, I'm taking away the power. There's no grasping on. Like there can be opposition and fighting, but that, that's where Jesus said, no, no power. You have, you have the power to break free if you're a believer. You, you have the power, the, that power of sin no longer controls you where this person who never repented really is still, they're controlled by it. And that's what's confusing for people. Um, so there's this repetitive turning. And so if you're that person and there's areas and you're, you keep turning and it's like, oh, this thing always tempting me, just know that it's going to take repetitive. You're not a bad Christian if, if you're getting tempted and you're just going, man, I'm going to keep following God. I'm getting tempted. I'm going to keep following God. That's it. And that may be for three months. That may be 12 times in one day for four days. Uh, many guys who are struggling with um, online stuff, it, it's, just, it's just always there. Why? Because it, everywhere, it's everywhere. Their phone is in their hand. The TV screen's in their hand. Uh, maybe the algorithm they've set up for the last few months or last few years is just going to be a thousand pings a day getting your attention. And it, it's going to be hard, but you, can't, you are free from that if you're a child of God. And so that's difficulty. Um, that's the difficulty. So uh, there's a difference between identifying as a Christian and being found actually in Christ. So the question is, are you in Christ truly? These things, walking in obedience, that, that's what's there. Uh, there's a difference between identifying as a Christian and actually surrendering and following Christ. So, so that's the deal. Where are you at in that? Are, are you someone who's been there at the door and maybe you just keep doing this, you know, close the door, open the door. Close the door, I'm really committed, open the door. Close the door, open the door. And you're not turning and, and walking in the Spirit. You're not walking in obedience. You're still in control. You're still saying, yeah, I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I want to be a nice person. I'm not going to do the crazy stuff, but I am in control. I'm going to do this Christian thing my way instead of his way. And so that, that, that just doesn't float. Um, Repentance is a spiritual act prompted by the Holy Spirit onto a person. And John 14 has a good example of this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So here, here's what that looks like. It's not, hey, if I do these things over here, then he will love me. No, it's in me loving him, it's a lot easier to go, no, I, I remember the door shut. I'm not going back to that because I love you. Because I love you, I'm going to keep walking with this instead of going back to that. Uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You keep going instead of going back to this. Um, it's a heart change that shows up. Uh, it's inner heart change that shows up externally. In John 14, 21, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And down in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And 24, he says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So if you love him, you're keeping his words. There's this onward going repentance. Temptation comes. Man, I'm free from that. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to walk through those things. I'm making a committed choice there repetitively versus the one who doesn't love me. You're not going to keep my commandments. You're not going to keep my word. Um, Godly, Second uh, Corinthians 7 has this, as, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So there's two types of grief here. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Godly grief, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So notice he says, here's the, the definition for godly grief, but then worldly grief produces death. It doesn't necessarily mean that you, know, you feel grieved and now you just die physically. It's a spiritual death that he's talking about there. Um, godly grief, there's true renouncing of sin, shutting the door, turning and walking away, and a commitment to forsake sin. Worldly grief, man, there's feelings and emotions. There's, there's weeping, tears, actual sorrow, guilt, fear of consequences maybe, confusion, shame. Again, saying I've sinned is not necessarily repentance. Simply admitting that we've sinned is not, not the truth. Um, there's forms of fake repentance. Well, this isn't really hurting anyone. It's not really that big of a deal. No, nobody, nobody knows, and so it's not really hurting anyone. 
Um, it's not full-blown adultery, and that could be like porn and lust and desire, sexual secrets, emotional affairs, secret attractions, flirting messages. It's not full-blown assault or murder. It's not, um, it's not that I'm, I'm destroying people's lives, and, and maybe you are. So for many people, they, they don't want to get to the specifics of obedience. And this big dilemma, uh, Jesus gets very, very concentrated where he says in, in, in Matthew 7, so at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount there, um, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. What did I say earlier? At this doorway, standing here, and if you're just going to the control, I'm just going to do it my way, and I'm not going to do the crazy stuff. I'm not going to jump off the cliff. I'm not going to destroy all this stuff. And, but it's comfortable. It's your natural skin. It's your natural um, bent to, to stay that way. And the people around you, you can compare to them. Go, see, look, I mean, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I want to stay right here. And that's a world away from what he's talked about. And so he says, um, that's wide, it's easy, and many are there. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard or difficult that leads to life. The, the way is narrow, doesn't seem like very many people do it, and it's difficult the way that leads to life. And how many find that? Only a few. Now, we don't like to hear that. Like There's a lot of church movements now that they, they want to try to say that the world's just going to get better. You know, the whole world, you know, 8 billion people, maybe 7 billion are going to get saved. That's probably not my end-time eschatology, but some people are trying to build towards that. Jesus doesn't seem like he's saying that at that point. Um, so, and all those things... Um, seem deeper questions to consider. Um, do we choose when the Holy Spirit comes to us? Do we choose when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us? The Old Testament, Acts, Ezekiel 36, John 3, John 6, John 14, um, Romans, lots of places would say that we think that repentance is always just our option, but the Bible's pretty clear that after you reject and reject and reject, and your heart is hardened and hardened and hardened, Holy Spirit may just be going, he's fitting with the lifestyle he's chosen. She's fitting with the lifestyle she's chosen. You don't want to get to the point where the Holy Spirit has given up convicting you. Um, secondly, repentance. Is it first a work in man's heart, and then, God notif and then man notifies God? So is it first a work in man's heart, and then man notifies God, hey God, I decided to do this. Or is it first a work of God in man's heart, and then man either responds or rejects it? I'd say it's the latter. And then third, if there is not an honesty before God who sees everything, a true self-revealing honesty before him over our sin, is it vain that we play this charade? Um, some more questions there for you to consider. Is If there's not an intentional and actual killing of sin, is it just hypocrisy that we're living in? Are we merely faking it? And if so, and you got to ask the question, who am I faking this for? Is it for me? For me to look good in front of people? Or is it for other people? Are they, are they, they more worthy of, than God? What has occurred when the great majority of churches and large churches of thousands could never even bring this element of confession and conviction and repentance in, like because it would run off cloud, it crowds. Literally, people would say, you're not supposed to do that. That's 2 Timothy 4, creating crowds of people who've said, we don't want that anymore. We'll tell you what we want to hear from you. And then just connecting the dots, if the essence and the central means that God uses for maturity and transformation and renewal and worship and conviction are conviction and confession and repentance, but these elements are almost unheard of, like a lost idea, then what are we doing in this religious dance? What is this American religious dance that we're doing if conviction and repentance and confession is not an ongoing thing that we're experiencing and practicing? Um, what if a great majority are not in regular repentance or repetitive repentance, but instead faking the offering that David talked about there in Psalm 51? So in our closing walkaways, we just wanted to give some time. So we talk about these heavy. This has been heavy for three weeks um, in Tahlequah. I taught for 26 weeks or something on it's through some systematic theology stuff. And we spent, I think, eight or nine or ten weeks on what is true sin, what is depravity uh, and conviction and all that. And man, 
I didn't notice, but it was several weeks in, and I was literally probably going through some some spiritual depression because we were just I was reading, you know, hundreds of pages and then going through two different lessons of this stuff. It was really good. People are like, oh man, this, I've never heard this. We had several people go, man, I, I I don't think I was actually I didn't understand sin, I didn't understand salvation, I didn't understand repentance. So some people got saved that, but man, it's it's weighty, it's heavy, it's not supposed to be comfortable. Now it is supposed to lead to the good news. It is supposed to lead to the truth that there's a smiling God who has said, and, and with all of that, run to me. With all of that, the Father with his arms wide open running to you going, it's good. The good news is you don't have to stay there. The good news is how, no matter how bad you've blown it, the good news is no matter what you've done, I'm still this graceful Father. Come to me. Come to me. That's the beautiful point. That's the love of the, the gospel message that he doesn't leave us there. So I know it's been weighty for three weeks, but I wanted to give some time for you to just uh, pray. And so we're going to have a time for you to, Brad's going to play the first song. And in the first song, you don't have to sing. You can, if you're in this place of just rejoicing, going, man, I just, that is, I'm so thankful. And that's what I've been experiencing for weeks and months and everything. But like, if you're in a place, man, where you're saying, I don't know that I take a lot of time for repentance. I don't know that I've asked the Holy Spirit in a while, are there some areas over here that I'm trying to be boss on, that I'm still trying to control? And so, man, we just wanted to give you just a few minutes there as the first song plays to do that. And then in the second one, to just maybe stand and praise him for the fact that, man, you're giving this, uh, this time for us. You're giving us this gift of, I'm now convicted by those things, small things maybe, that, that you've been okay with, small things that you've been saying, I'm all right with. And so uh, let me pray. And then again, the first song is just going to be a time where Brad's going to sing a few verses. And then the second song, uh, if you want to join up and, and enter in and stand up and sing with him, that's fine. If you need to stay and pray that whole time, if you need to pull your husband or wife or kids together, um, a friend, and to say, hey, man, we, I, I, need, I need some help on this. I need some accountability. We want to provide time for that. Well, what's the point if we just go through the motions on Sunday morning and we talk about these things and then don't provide that time? So let me pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful um, truth in your word. We thank you for um, the Holy Spirit's powerful working in our lives. Would you help us not to be hardened this morning? Would you help us not to be hardened and uh, calloused? Would you point and begin to scratch little areas and point to little areas in our hearts and minds? If there's people here that are truly not even in Christ, that thought they were, would you... Make that very, very clear. Would you offer that salvation to them? Would you bring them to reconciliation with God and new life, spiritual renewal and, and rebirth? Would you work in believers' lives to bring them closer to you, to walk in the Spirit, to turn, to shut that door to sin, to, to renounce it, to turn away from it, and to walk in the Spirit? We thank you for those powerful things that you're working in us and help us to respond. In your name we pray. Amen.